Greetings. Welcome to another episode of Let's Innovate for Vegas. It is today the the lovely St. Patty's Day. St. Patrick, St. Patrick. St. Patty's Day here in Vegas. Uh, sometimes uh, very exciting. It's on a Friday, so we can only imagine. But today we are uh, we're recording another solo episode. Luckily, there are a couple people interested in being guests, so hang on. We'll get there. We'll get to some conversations. Uh, if you are interested in a project that I am involved with, the Cafe Genius Impresarios podcast, uh, earlier today, Josh Levitt and I had a nice conversation. So uh, it can be done. I promise. But today we are going to talk about AI, the promise of AI, the <laughs> the joy of AI, the, the future that is apparently taking all of our jobs uh, and replacing all of our needs to read and write and to draw and even recognize objects. Um, not sure how that's going to go, but let's talk about, uh, uh, there's actually a mini, well, one tweet that, that crossed, uh, us, me, uh, about the uh, AI bill of rights and how AI is going to work in the near future. If bank regulations are any uh, are, are a, an indicator, well, we'll see. On to the show notes. So we have uh, we have an existing ethos, uh, which is basically uh, what what we Innovate for Vegas Foundation do has to be in keeping with our inclusivity, diversity, and accessibility goals. So we want we want to include everybody. We want a diverse population. So we're, we're, we're coders and creators and, and everybody else. And we are aiming for diversity, which is not something you just make happen, but we want to encourage it. Um, accessibility is something, and, and normally, yes, there is the, uh, is it DEI? Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Equity is a big challenge. We are a small entity, so accessibility seems like a nice uh, compromise. Uh, it's something that we can do in software, and it's something we can strive for in the real world. Uh, ramps and and uh, accessible physicality. That's something we can actually make a dent in, literally and figuratively. Uh, equity is a, is a large thing. But those things are still going to come into play when we think about and use and depend on and eventually get taken <laughs> taken over by artificial intelligence and all of its rel uh, relatives, machine learning and deep learning and uh, artificial general intelligence and plain old statistics and all the things. So I thought I might uh, talk about this today and, we, and maybe it'll fit into a couple of the projects we're working on. It does or it will. Um, as we start getting onto the, the AI scene. So first of all, how does AI mix with the, uh, the ethos elements that I just mentioned? And as it happens, I have in my rule of three thinking, I have three things for A and three things for I. So the three I's we already, we've already been building on those. So ideate, innovate, implement, these are M. If you want to throw an in integration, that will definitely figure into this as we travel down this road. But if we can, if we can actually think, making uh, taking advantage of and making use of 
new and cutting edge and leading edge technologies like artificial intelligence and the, the way it's exposed as a service right now through OpenAI APIs. I mean, I'm sorry, OpenAI, yeah, OpenAI APIs and others. And by the way, there are competitors. There are other, and it, they're not even just Google and Facebook and Microsoft, which is a, a substantial OpenAI investor. But there are smaller companies, there are a variety of open source projects, and those things will continue. So there's uh, no one can eat just one Dorito and no one, no. Lay's potato chips, sorry, Doritos, they'll, they'll make more. But no one can eat just one and no one can use just one AI engine. There, uh, we have to be aware that just like people, one AI, one human intelligence, HI, uh, might have a very different way of interpreting and, and uh, communicating things than another one. So we have to be aware of that. But the A in AI... I, I suggest, I posit that there are three as well, considerations. Uh, awareness, and that means our people that are using AI, <clears throat> are they aware of what's doing or how it's doing it or where it's getting its information from? Just because, and I'm, I'm always entertained when I see articles about how we, uh, we asked ChatGPT what it thought of, you know, as if it's anthropomorphized, what it thought of the banking crisis or what it thought of, you know, and this is not an intelligence that's coming up with its own notions in a human-like fashion, although GPT-4 may have changed everything, and now it is sentient, and uh, we, will, we will all be... Will humans have robot companions? Maybe, but robots will soon have human companions, as uh, someone said the other day. So do people know where these things are coming from? I actually suggested several years ago I'm not saying I'm the only one that suggested this, but when you walk into a doctor's office, if you go to a vet for your pet, if you go to an attorney, if you visit a car mechanic, any number of, of uh, services or skilled services that we might depend on, these people are usually, they have some sort of a certification, they have some sort of a... Um, maybe a diploma, but they have a track record. You can actually see if this doctor has uh, expertise in the field that they're supposed to, if they are well-regarded, if they have, obviously, malpractice is uh, exciting <laughs> for if you are a doctor. But, you know, what What am I getting into when I place my health and well-being into these this person's hands, literally? And what, what am I getting when I hand my car over to a mechanic who has never done this before or so, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So with AI, uh, summarizing your, your text is one thing and you can visually inspect, right? You know, you can take a 10 page document and it summarizes it in uh, in one page and you can go, okay, yeah, that was pretty close. That, that utility is already apparent, probably trustworthy. So, you know, if you take the time to compare and you develop your own confidence in, in what you're seeing and what you're getting, whether it's OpenAI's products or somebody else. But then on the other hand, there are people that don't, they don't know what they don't know. So they're using this experimental platform, right? It's, it's a, yes, it's released, but it's still new. Uh, they're using it to, to write code and they're using it to develop ideas into implementations, which on the surface sounds great, but what are they really getting? And, as as more is handed over to what is essentially a black box, a, a box of unknowns, uh, that's just parlance in the 
in the world from which I come, the black box is the the mystery that you you don't you don't exactly know how it works on the inside. You just see the outside, and the white box is uh, you actually know the internals. You know how it functions and whatnot. Uh, the colors are arbitrary, so that wasn't my choice. But the the fact is that we are are at this time mostly. I mean, ninety nine percent of the population is treating AI as a um, how about we go well this might be a, <laughs> the mechanical turk which is a historical reference is um you know supposedly a, a, a computer that plays i think it was chess and it turns out it's a person hiding under uh behind a uh, behind the curtain like the wizard of oz and it's not a computer or a robot or some sort of mystical intelligence it's actually just a person pretending uh, that's not what's happening here, but it's still the the illusion of intelligence and intuition, but it's really uh, a mysterious math model, if you will. So we, I have not tried GPT-4 as we're recording this on St. Patty's Day in March 2023. So who knows? Tomorrow, if I get a chance, I might say, oh my, oh my goodness. Or maybe a new version of chat GPT will say that for me. But awareness of what you're getting into when you're using it is something that I hope we can, in our organization, highlight uh, transparent use of tools and algorithms and open source projects, whether it's the actual code or how it's being used. Open data should play a large part of this. If you think about uh, artificial intelligence at this time, relies heavily on training data. They call it training data. It's where you take an existing collection of things, whether it's images. You know, how do I, how does AI know that that's a picture of a cat? Well, it, it looked at a million pictures of things that it knew were cats. And so now it mathematically using, you know, weighted algorithms and the magic of, of neural nets and similar, uh, it's able to make a educated guess. And what you end up with is that's probably a cat. Great. So, when you tell it to draw a cat, it can draw on, literally, draw on those uh, references, and it can draw something that looks like the million cats that it's already seen. And if it's creative, it's a, a generative AI, or it's a, um, adversarial, or now there's uh, uh, stable diffusion. Now, these are, these are basically taking data that it has and applying something, some, some operations to it and generating something cool. And you could argue that humans do that too, uh, in neither case <laughs> are we completely and totally sure what the outcome will be given any input. So it's, uh, it's like a little fun game. Uh, if you have any creativity whatsoever, you know, you don't always, uh, sometimes you surprise yourself, I'm sure with what comes out, who knows if chat GPT is also impressed with itself, but this awareness I think is key. Uh, it's something, uh, and I mentioned open, open data. So the more data is available in an open or accessible fashion, uh, sometimes it's blog entries, sometimes it's newspaper articles, sometimes it's you know books and and um, you know if you train, if you were to train uh, an AI model on the history of the world, great. Uh, who wrote that history of the world? So the the data itself can start introducing biases and whatnot. So knowing these things and knowing what you're getting out. And how it got there, you can't always interrogate the AI. So awareness comes with a certain amount of mystery right now, but the same is true of people. So 
we just have to know that magically trusting what your computer screen is displaying is not necessarily more or less correct than what a human might tell you. So, so that awareness is going to be important. It's an education uh, issue, like learning how to drive. You, you, you may learn how to drive, but you have to become more aware of driving over time. So probably a similar situation. Uh, access to artificial intelligence, I think, will start to become an issue. Right now, it's free. Sometimes, uh, Chat GPT has a free tier. Other services are implemented with open source software. Other services will start to appear from the big companies like Google and Facebook and others. And some will be small startups and some will be services on your phone or on your computer or in your car or wherever else. So who will have access to these things? Uh, eventually, uh, there's talk of you know students cheating on papers. Does this mean that, uh, say, there's a pay service that will write the best paper <laughs> and the... The person who can't afford that will have to actually write it themselves. And somehow in some idiocracy fashion, we end up with the, the wealthiest of people not having any idea how to construct a thought and express it. Uh, that's, that's maybe a little cynical, but it's something to be aware of that not everyone will have access to all aspects of these technologies. Not everybody owns a cell phone. Uh, it's a remarkably high percentage, but some people don't. And you will see in your travels that... The presumption is that you own a cell phone when you're, you know, taking public transit even. They do support people that don't have a phone, but it's certainly easier if you do. You know, suppose uh, something as simple as public transit said, uh, that it doesn't have to be in Nevada, you know, oh, we're getting rid of paper passes, so you have to use a phone or your smartphone. Well, I don't have a smartphone. Well, Sorry. So access to these cutting edge, leading edge technologies is just as important as access to most other things. It's um, if it becomes an essential, if it becomes something that people actually depend on to be productive, to be able to survive, to be a productive member of society and pay rent and mortgages and food, <laughs> shelter in general, uh, it will be important to be aware of that access level and who has what and how that impacts life, the larger communities and economies at scale. These are things to think about. And finally, accountability is, I think, the hidden, maybe not so apparent to the casual person, you know, drawing astronauts, riding horses. Um, some artists have encountered this and some coders, if you are a co-pilot, uh, observer on, on GitHub, or if you have paid attention to some of the artwork claims that are probably valid, uh, against some of the, uh, some of the uh, DALI to, to, to use one example. But so anyone who's training their data on you as a, as a generator of content, as a creator of video and audio and text and, and notions, uh, if an AI is trained on you and then it's somehow, well, first of all, if it profits at your, uh, on your work, that's something to be aware of that, you know, accountability would, might include attribution to sources. It might include, uh, specific elements of a person's life that have been not, maybe not connecting their name, but if, if, a if a model is trained on personal, what's, what's called personally identifying information. And then uh, th something 
something uh, not necessarily in your best interest is built and uses your personal identifying information against you and you have no idea. And if you think I'm uh, being creative, that's how certain lending uh, algorithms work. They, they look at your personal data and they compare it against models that are built on other people's personal data and they decide whether you're eligible for a loan. And anecdotally, if you, you can look for stories where the bank in question, not Silicon Valley bank, they probably would have, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, the loan officer, the, the, the authority that's making these decisions, they will often say that they have no real insight into why a decision was made. They, the AI told them to, or, you know, they, they, they don't really know. Uh, they just said yes or no. The algorithm told me and how those algorithms are getting their data and what they're doing with it and how it affects you, uh, being accountable is a non-trivial component of AI. And I think that will be well, all three of these, all the A's and all of the I's all go together. And it's something that we will certainly think of in our small corner of the world, but it's something to be aware of. And um, we'll add it to the toolbox. And there are certainly uh, artificial intelligence applications, which I can, I can touch on here in context of our projects, current and future. Um, but there, okay. So, uh, but let's let's talk about the shiny new toys that we are all getting access to. Um, did you know that OpenAI actually exposes some APIs so you can do something more interesting with their model and their training? Like you can train your own model, or you can train your own yeah, you can train your own version of the model on your data. And so, if you wanted to create a better public transit experience, for example, that could answer questions about routes and rules and and uh, uh, schedules, routes, and rates. There you go. Bus passes and how much does it cost? And I have a wheelchair or a, uh, vision impairment or other, you know, what, what, what do I do? How do I do this? And it could actually explain it to you, uh, if it's trained properly, right? So, you know, you're getting the data you want, not a collection of public transit information from 2021 and before or from who knows where. So this goes to the, uh, the awareness, right? Where is this data coming from? Oh, it's about my local bus system. That's more useful. So putting, putting this technology to use in vertical applications like that might be interesting, right? Like how can I explain to a tourist, a person visiting, say the Las Vegas area who doesn't necessarily speak English or Spanish, but they still want to know how to take a bus from point A to point B because they're visiting our fine city. They just want to get around. Uh, if, you, if it sounds like a true story, it's because it is many, many, many times over. Uh, German, Japanese, Polish, the list continues. I can't even remember. It, uh, I end up pointing at things. <laughs> but if there's a way that we can use technology like this to enable, uh, well, that seems like a simple, low-hanging fruit example. Uh, there are other ways we can make use of these technologies. Uh, Leading-edge technologies often get uh, a lot of attention. I have said this before, I think, I don't know about it in an episode, but uh, I did used to work at Netscape, for example. So the browser company that is probably long forgotten, but Netscape was building these technologies and then Internet Explorer and they kind of pushed each other to move fast. And there was, you know, there, what is the web not going to do? Everything was going to be on the Internet. And, well, that's probably true now, but it certainly took a while. So the first several years was a lot of things not quite working out as planned things. Uh, I, now I worked in the security group, so we were doing secure sockets and, you know, encrypted email and whatnot. 
a lot of things were found in the early years that did not protect people's privacy, did not protect their um, the ability of, of, of malicious actors to access content or to determine where they're surfing the web from. Remember that expression? Uh, you know, where, where are they coming from? What's the refer ID? I'm oh, sorry, refer URL. Uh, other other metadata that could be tracked and uh, obviously the cookie issue, third-party cookies, advertising, ads showing up all over the place that make you wonder who's looking over your shoulder all the time. These are things that over time have um, people have sort of realized that they maybe don't like those things. You can certainly look at the rise and fall of, maybe that's my opinion, but the rise and fall of Facebook, the rise and fall of, um, we'll get to the Google Glass example, um, very exciting at first and possibly for years and years. But as we learn more about actual impact, we kind of wonder what's happening. So the more, in my opinion, and hopefully we'll drive in this direction, uh, the more people are aware and they know what they're getting into and, and the goals, the ethos of the, the, the company or the entity or the people developing and using these technologies, um, is it helpful or is it somehow robbing them of privacy and security and uh, humanity in some cases, right? Are we, are we sacrificing our ability to think and express ourselves for leisure and who knows what else? Uh, write the paper. Don't have chat GPT write the paper. Have it, have it come up with a, a synonym or a creative sentence perhaps, but you know, use your own ideas and express them. That will come in handy. Uh, and, and the other thing about new technologies is people tend to, and this is just from years of watching this happen over and over the hype curve and all that, uh, people will tend to decide that this is the way. So chat GPT is getting all the attention, but there are many baskets and many eggs and we can spread them around. So try other tools. Um, if you are so inclined, make use of open source versions and tinker with them, learn how they work. Uh, if you're an artist or a creative person, maybe it's writing, maybe it's visual art, maybe it's audio, you know, they're making uh, AI generated video now, uh, entire productions, scripting and visuals and everything. Uh, so you could, you could use these tools to express your notions in your preferred art, or maybe an art you're not even familiar with. That's very different than having a computer generate your ideas for you. So that's something we'll probably make a big thing of in the, into the future as AI kind of grabs on. Uh, AI is kind of, the, kind of the new blockchain at this point. Uh, remember blockchain? I don't know if you remember that. But uh, speaking of the hype curve, it's interesting. Uh, this, the Netscape example is, is obviously one, but it's interesting to see the hype curve as you go down back to reality. So there's a lot of excitement, a lot of money, a lot of talk, a lot of headlines. And then as you get over the hype curve down, you drop down and it kind of falls off the radar a little bit and it's replaced by the next shiny new toy. And then it kind of settles into actual usability over time. And that's kind of where the web browser is, right? It's becoming, it's becoming a platform that is privacy aware, but is also much more useful. And that took a while, a long time. And there are still perfect uh, examples of imperfection, but the uh, Web3 and Metaverse, for example, those uh, all last year were going to be the, the new thing. Everybody's got to go there. And yes, I'm 
you can hear my cynicism in my voice. It's absolutely true. But just because it's exciting and new doesn't mean it's viable and, and, um, the basis of actual development. So everything we do, I have been told this by uh, a couple of, of, uh, we'll say newcomers to the innovation scene. Uh, why are you even thinking about these old ways when there's new ways, right? Uh, I will, I will say one example was, uh, why use email when you can just use, uh, I can't remember if they said the blockchain, which seemed odd, but it, I think, I think it was, um, I think email encryption versus, uh, uh, blockchain based security. Uh, so, you know, the old ways are where the new ways came from in most cases. So the old ways have been around, they've, they've, uh, become stable. They aren't hype driven. They're practicality driven. So web three and metaverse are, are examples that come to mind. And then as well, Google, Google glass, which I've never been able to say correctly, uh, the, the, the glasses with the little camera on them, that's very creepy. And everybody got upset because, uh, the, going into restrooms and watching movies was a you know, privacy and or piracy issue. So Google glass, they've just shut it down again. They used to have an enterprise version. Uh, the notion was going to be, um, using it in a, especially in a manual workplace assembly and any sort of manufacturing. So you could, <clears throat> you could actually use the device to identify things. But that has lost its luster, and I will say, this is this is an example where um, innovation would have would have been a nice, interesting factor to include in in its future. Because uh, in the early days of Google Glass, they implemented the same algorithms on an Android phone. It was called Google Goggles. All kinds of minefields of uh, tongue twisters today for me. Google Goggles. You could run it on your phone. And I demonstrated, you know, casually, you can use this application on your phone right now. And this was easily 10 years ago. So 2013, you can take a picture of crinkled, non-pristine American currency, which has the distinction of being, I believe, and this was true, I think it's still true, the only uh, currency of a sovereign nation, right, legitimate, if you will, fiat, if you must, paper money that is all the same size and color and so offers no immediately visible cues to someone who's vision impaired or other, you know, that's probably the, the, the one you would think of first. But if you're unable to identify bills based on shape, color, uh, to some extent feel once the bill has been used a bit, the the texture of the print, uh, it goes away. So you basically are left with, I'm not sure if this is a one or a hundred and a bad actor could tell you it's the other one. <laughs> and you know, that's a bummer. So I pointed Google glass at some crinkled up money and it properly identified the bills. So right away you're thinking so, but for a person who depends on being able to figure out what, which bill somebody gave them as change so that they don't get robbed slowly but surely that's that's something to think about and if that same technology can identify uh, a large step on a curb before that person steps off it or they can identify um, an electric car approaching maybe they didn't hear it uh, uh, you know that's that's a problem in general but if you depend on being able to hear a vehicle coming because you are not able to see it 
you know, the Google Glass device on your head could be actually your literal co-pilot if the technology were used that way. So this is where, um, you know, innovation and implementation in the direction of actual, you know, life improvement would be interesting, but there isn't such a market in that. And these are the sort I'm, I'm only going down this road because these are the sorts of things that are driving some of our projects is actually, you know, what does it mean to live in a smart city and to benefit from that in some way? We're not focusing on geographical areas or, or uh, other demographics. Just if we're a smart city, we should be a smart city. And that means not limiting ourselves to, and that's the nice part about being a public charity is we are not a software company. We're not a technology company. We're, we're all about ideation and innovation and implementation by people who live here, local innovators, local innovation, two great tastes. So when I talk about these things, these are historical facts that we can use to move forward more creatively than merely, oh, that's not interesting because it's doesn't, um, it, it's, it doesn't look cool. Google glass or, uh, the metaverse is obviously very young 10 years from now, who knows, we'll all be ready player one or something. Um, smart speakers is another example, obviously, uh, various companies, uh, some of them, I have their products here, so I won't say say various keywords. But you know, in light of in light of uh, ChatGPT, when you give a command to your smart speaker, you have to wonder. You know, I can I can type something much more creative and get a much more relevant response than you know what we can now. So so smart speakers are maybe maybe they'll recover from this, but they've certainly been shown financially and practically to be mm, eh. Uh I have to wonder if AI will will reach that point in the next, you know, five years and then five more years later, brilliant applications. You know, who knows? I'm totally speculating here, but but the, the short version of the ending of this story, because it's already 30 minutes in, so we'll try to keep it short today. Uh, the, the end or the, the end of the beginning of that story is that we should consider practical uses of these things and how they impact people. So like I said, the awareness, access, and accountability. Uh, and uh, in general, that applies to all. And then for our uses, uh, we still need to be looking at ideation, innovation, and implementation. So... We should be creative. We should be learning. We should be doing. Uh, part of our goal is to develop job skills and practical experience and so on. Some of it's coding. Some of it's you know what is it? What are the what are the ethics of what we're doing? Um, you can search your own headlines for this, but AI ethicists—that's a ridiculous word. People involved with artificial intelligence ethics, how people are using these things, accountability—they seem to be losing their jobs now and then. So it's something to think about. But as far as we're concerned, open source projects, transparency of implementation, the willingness to include people in what we're working on, I think these are these are things that could be useful beyond a civic volunteer charity organization such as ours so that people are more aware. Um, you know, anybody can look at the curriculum of a medical school and you can see that your doctor went to that medical school and you can find references and so on. Try doing that with a chat GPT, you're going to come up short, so... These are some things that will inspire our uh, our explorations in this area and certainly things like the AI Bill of Rights and other regulations that will almost certainly fall short in the early years may or may not 
protect us, but certainly that awareness component will come in handy. And so the more we know, at least we'll know, and we'll hopefully know what we don't know. But if we don't know what we don't know, that's when we get into trouble. So thank you again for listening. As usual, this is a (laughs) solo podcast. I'm your host, Dan Hugo. I'm the managing director of the Innovate for Vegas Foundation. We're a 501c3 nonprofit public charity. Uh, job creation, social social um, benefit of some sort, not formally a social benefit corporation, but um, working on elevating our communities, trying to make our smart city smarter. These are all things that we are just working on day to day, and everybody's welcome to join in, be a part of what we're working on. We have Hackathon every month. Uh, the list continues. So I will leave it there, and uh, happy St. Patty's Day. And I will look forward to next week. I mean, I'm hoping I'm going to have a guest. Uh, We'll see if that works out. It might be the week after. But fear not, the solo shows will not be so common. Hopefully fewer and further between with actual guests and discussions about projects and so on and so on. Thank you. And until next time.